0: Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. I'm Rebecca Hines. And we're both professors at the University of Central Florida, but that's not the purpose of this podcast. (laughs) No, Our
1: goal is to intentionally not sound like professors. Uh, We'll just be speaking as fellow educators and family members and and community members all interested in the same cause.
0: Yeah, and I think we're really interested in this talking about access for people with disabilities in general. But really, kids in K-12 settings is what we hang out with the most. Would you agree? Well, not only kids in K-12
1: setting, but we both have family members with disabilities. So it's pretty much a lived experience. Yeah,
0: yeah. So as we get started today, Becky, I, I think we have to address the elephant in the room. The world has changed dramatically. Uh, and kids are online in ways that you and I both love, but we also worry about, especially kids with disabilities. What are some of your thoughts? I mean, what do teachers do right now when they've got a kid with a disability in an online environment? You're a great tech person. What are you thinking? Well... Two things come to mind immediately. One
1: is obviously the product. What what curriculum, what content are we going to put in front of kids? How are we going to do it on a dime? How are we going to do it quickly and nimbly? And to do that, I think that you have to go with tools that already exist. Yeah. And there's no time to create new things. Um, and then the second thing is the the process with which we roll out these products. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's got to be a lot of intention here because. The one thing I feel strongly is that we we're not going to go backwards. Blending mm-hmm. lear, blended learning is going to be changed yeah, forever in I schools agree. as people have to quickly assemble but also realize the opportunities here. Yeah,
0: yeah. And what do you think? What is what's the tool that if you standing in front of a K twelve online virtual classroom right now, what are you going to deliver first? I, I mean, like where do we start?
1: If it were me. Mm-hmm. I would start with something like Brain Pop. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's used Brain Pop knows that it's it's a what you see is what you get. It it is very um, it's animated. It's not intended to be like super funny. If you can put up with
0: Moby, right? If you can put up with the <laughs> Moby the, the
1: robot. But But the good thing about that particular product is that the characters remain the same. The content is very good. There's written content in there, but very light written Mm -hmm. content. Every single word in there is purposeful and it's tied to state standards. You can Google your state and find out what aligns with the students that you're teaching. So I think it gives a lot of opportunities, has a lot of extra tools like note-taking sheets and quizzes so kids can practice with the content. I'd be looking at some things like that to supplement what I also am doing.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a great one because I love that it's closed captioned. I think it comes in a Spanish version. So again, if you got second language, of course we know you might have more languages than that sitting in front of you, but it's good to have that option. And I do like that it's aligned with the standards. And, and kids might say, oh, I'm a little bit bored watching the same character, but I think that's what you see as the strength of that. It Jill. is a strength, especially
1: for kids with disabilities yeah. because Lots of kids need to see it multiple times before yeah. they will remember it.
0: I mean, so, I could watch Brain Pop twice.
1: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> if you were
0: so willing. Got it, got it, I love it. Well, I think, um, talk to me a little bit about, you said process, what are, what are you thinking there?
1: Well, so let's say I was gonna use something like Brain Pop or any of the other tools that we'll be thinking about. Uh,
0: there is
1: a structure as a teacher, that, and you know me well enough to know the structure is not a word that comes out of my mouth often, <laughs> okay. but I would impose a certain structure because sure. I don't think we can count on parents to understand how to use these tools effectively yeah. either. Yeah. So coming up with a structure, a routine for my students, log in every morning at this time, mm-hmm. we'll watch it together, sure. we'll take a break for people to re-watch it or to do something else with it, we'll touch base again at this time. Um, I think that's one way to go with it, whether you're elementary or high school teacher even. But um, the other thing I would say, every single parent, if they have the opportunity, should look for ways to broadcast their computer onto the television Mm, screen. Interesting.
0: And why would that be? I mean, to me, that's like, all right, me on a big screen, not exactly what I was thinking about. Um, But you mentioned
1: for kids with disabilities, and I'll use, you know, personal example. My nephew is in a wheelchair. My nephew... Loves to see family members on the TV. He watches literally my recorded videos over and over (laughs) and over over Because he likes to see it on that TV. So Similarly, I think we have kids who are going to really miss those teachers Mm -hmm. and are going to really miss those kinds of of Interactions even so if it's on the television, it feels much bigger much more personal I, I, I play around with SAT prep at my own house with my typical high schoolers, and we always put it on the TV so that we can do it as a game and talk mm-hmm. about the questions together, etc. So I, I think process-wise, I would first make sure that I have something lined up schedule-wise, Yeah. Uh, and then second, I would encourage parents to publish whatever we're doing on the television if because they have that's, that's
0: capability. If they yeah. have capability. capability.
1: Yeah. And it's as easy as buying an adapter
0: right, if you right. can. Or if you have AirDrop, you could do if it through you AirDrop, AirDrop, you could you do it through an HDMI cord, that's right. a choice. So I would
1: be pushing out something to parents yeah. to tell them that because I think it's gonna make it easier for parents to sit their kids on the couch looking at TV. Um, it's just a convention that we're, kids are used to sitting and, and looking at, yeah. that, that makes me sound 100 because not all kids <laughs> today look
0: at a television. Yeah, my but son doesn't even have one I, in his I house. Think, so. I think bigger is good yeah. in this. Yeah. Well, and, and again, I think our mantra always is parents and teachers, you know, if you're worried about how to project on the TV, don't figure it out, let the kid do it. Exactly. If you're over the age of four, you probably are ingrained to do that better, right. uh, yet we respect the financial status of all the families we're talking to today might not have that capability, if you can, that's a great way. If not, again, it's one tool to think about. You know, and it's funny, because one of the things with, you talked about process instruction, one of my go-tos is uh, YouTube. Uh, and the reason is, is because A, it's simple, most of us could use it, uh, and be it closed captions automatically. Now, you might get some words inappropriately, so you might want to check your captioning, because I tend to talk fast. So I've had, you know, (laughs) shut, have a different letter in the middle, and that's not exactly what you'd want to have happen. But I do think that something like that, why not give your instructions that way? So that again, if a kid can't get online, they can go to the YouTube link and say, oh yeah, you know, I couldn't get online with Mrs. Deeker today, but I could hear her two-minute summary, or, you online with me and you were a little distracted because somebody was making toast in the background then capturing that through YouTube lets kids see it again and don't you think kind of that repetition is what I think our kids with disabilities my own son has Tourette's and a learning disability and I'm telling you some days I'm like I felt like a parrot go brush your teeth go brush your teeth what am I supposed to do go brush your teeth and so again I wish I kind of had a YouTube Alexa that could talk to my son non-stop because sometimes it gets old repeating it online but having that backup plan I think is important yeah, definitely
1: In the spirit of universal design, having all instructions, both in written and video and or audio format, I think is critical right now.
0: Yeah. And then my my other go-to is my last thought here in this podcast is I think for outcomes, we rely too much on text and written. And again, um, my son has a college degree. I'm proud to say woohoo um, Yet spelling is still a train wreck. So asking him to write means we would be been at home butting heads. Using something like Flipgrid, super simple. Um, teachers, if you've never used it, I love the app on the phone. It's free to do a small number. And then I can actually watch all my students and I can actually Flipgrid back to them so they could tell you this is the scientific concept we've been talking about this is what I believe happens in mitosis I then can flipgrid them back and say well could you talk to me a little further about that step because I'm not sure you got it right so again think about those audio tools and the capability of that it takes very little bandwidth for flipgrid and again it's one of my go-tos that I love it as a UDL assessment tool uh, instead of your standard paper pencil or um, just writing something through text and is
1: that app based or computer based? So
0: both that's the great part you can use an your phone or you can use it on the computer so kiddos who don't have a computer could use it on their phone simply turn on the audio and uh, most cities I believe are offering free bandwidth to school age kids and families so again if you haven't checked on that teachers that might be something to help and one of the things I was just reading the best thing you could do right now is to know your individual kids needs and I think that's true for kids with disabilities period but I think in this online world who has internet who doesn't who has a phone who doesn't and that's been kind of our discussion
1: I would add my final product would be something similar, which is Seesaw. And if you use Seesaw, it it's calls itself a digital portfolio, and that's not—it's not out it. in the it's playground exactly. going <laughs> exactly. up and down. Exactly it is. <laughs> okay. Um, and the good thing about using something like Seesaw, if I've asked people, if I've asked my students to, to complete something, maybe I've asked them to do something, um, uh, any type of Mm -hmm. project-based, I would ask them to submit pictures of their progress every hour, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be Mm time-stamped, and then I can, it will automatically come to me to accept it or not, so that literally I could ask people every hour to be submitting something on Seesaw, and on my phone, I can just flip through and accept, so it gives me a way to stay connected, it's very informal, they can submit things through video, pictures, writing, etc., but I would be looking for something that allows me to check in constantly
0: all day without having to log into something separate on my computer. And you could even look for IEP goals and objectives for kids with disabilities on Seesaw. Could you show me evidence of? Exactly. Uh, And again, because we know we're gonna be in this world for at least more than a week and some states for the whole year, it's a great way to kind of monitor those goals and objectives.
1: And I know in future podcasts, we'll be talking specifically about how to look at those IEP goals and how to serve students with disabilities remotely.
0: All right. Well, thanks for joining us on Practical Access. As we said, we're professors at the University of Central Florida, but we plan to keep it practical. (laughs) We'll see you next time.